Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. Make a smile November until opening day Suffering baseball withdrawal around the clock When April comes, hey, meet me down on Yawkey Way That's when Red Sox Nation starts to rock I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes shortly after the conclusion of this broadcast. It can also be found on Spreaker, Player FM, and iHeartRadio. Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the New York Mets. I am Terry Cushman, and I am joined tonight by my new permanent co-host, Tyler Seeley, and Jesse Friedman from the Rattle podcast covering Diamondbacks baseball is also here with us. For those of you wondering, uh, Dave Kwetkowski and Austin Hartsfield have parted ways with the Benny and the Bets podcast, and more info on that could be found on my Twitter account, which is at CushmanMLB, if you uh, haven't been there, but there's a statement on there in regards to that, and um, I uh, certainly wish them well, but... The show must go on, and uh, Tyler Seeley has been on the show. I'm going to guess, what is it, Tyler? Probably about 16 to 18 times in all. Yeah, something like that between, you know, th- this time last year and, and uh, now. So I do appreciate you guys, uh, you know, or especially you having me on here. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, uh, you know, what it's going to be like uh, come the postseason and, you know, the rest of the regular season. Absolutely, and uh, we're glad to uh, glad to have you on full time. And uh, Jesse, uh, welcome back. You've been on, uh, I think, at least a couple of times. But uh, why don't you get the audience uh, acquainted with you a little more? Yeah, it's probably. Uh, I, sometimes I wonder if Red Sox fans even heard of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, you know, we're way out far west, not exactly the most uh, relevant headliner uh, baseball team in the league. Um, but yes, Terry, I always appreciate the invite, always appreciate being uh, on your show. Unfortunately, the Diamondbacks have faded a little bit down the stretch. Um, but your message to come on today was, uh, I think, was just what I needed. Uh, I'm, I'm all set to jump on the Red Sox, uh, the Red Sox, excuse me, bandwagon um, as we head here into the playoffs. Uh, you know, they've got the best record in baseball right now, so I'm not sure what other team I'd, I'd really be want to be uh, cheering for at this point. Um, but yes, you can find uh, all of my stuff over on Twitter if you follow me at, at Jesse and Friedman. Uh, that's J E S S E N, um, and then my last name is F R I E D M A N. Uh, so be sure to check it out. It's called the Rattle Podcast. If you uh, are for some reason uh, a Red Sox fan and a Diamondbacks fan at the same time, uh, be sure to check out our show over there. 
And I do listen to your show. Not, I wouldn't say religiously, but I'd say a couple of times a month. So I guess that's probably half of your shows. And uh, the Diamondbacks having so many Red Sox connections right now between Hazen and Lavello. Um, I, you know, you guys are my favorite National League team, so um, it's definitely fun to listen along. And you guys do a great job, so we appreciate it. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's uh, basically available everywhere, right, Jesse? I listen to it on SoundCloud, but basically uh, every major um, media sharing app should have it. Yeah, ironically, SoundCloud is now uh, like the one platform that isn't updated um, anymore. We moved over to Spreaker, uh, so that's like our, our main host. You can find our shows there. Uh, you can find our shows on iTunes, on Google Play. Uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast, you can probably find the rattle. Yeah, and with my own, I find it on new platforms all the time, and I, I don't know if it's because iTunes sends it out or whatever. Like that's kind of a foreign, um, you know, area for me anyway. But <laughs> I keep finding it in all these new <laughs> spots. Player FM is really cool. Um, you, you know, that's an easy app, and uh, I don't know if. If, if yours is on there, I would imagine it is, but um, but that's another place I've discovered mine. So, uh, well, all right, let's uh, let's just get into the recap real quick. I'm just going to do a quick summary, and then uh, we'll get into excuse me, shoutouts and callouts. Uh, game one, uh, Friday night, Noah Syndergaard got the start against William Cuevas, who was basically uh, serving as an opener. And uh, Red Sox basically were never in that game from the very get-go. Syndergaard pitched seven uh, strong innings, only gave up three hits. Um, Ahmed Rosario, Jay Bruce, Austin Jackson, and Jeff McNeil all had a home run party and uh, went deep. Brian Johnson was the only real bright spot for the Red Sox. He gave up one earned run, uh, pitched four and two thirds, and uh, but the Red Sox lost eight to nothing. Game uh, two, uh, Rick Porcello took the mound. Was pitching really well till the uh, fourth inning when he gave up uh, a three-run shot to Brandon Nemo and. Uh, fortunately, Brock Holt, Jackie Bradley each had two-run doubles, and um, bullpen held up very good. Bobby Pointer, Stephen Wright, Ryan Brazier were all perfect, didn't give up a single hit, as was Craig Kimbrell, who uh, seems to finally be rebounding after a rough summer. Red Sox win that one 5-3, to three. and then today in the finale, Chris Sale uh, got the start. You know, or served as the opener as the Tampa Bay Rays have pioneered. And uh, he pitched the three scheduled innings he was scheduled to, gave up one hit, only struck out one, but still looked pretty good. Jake DeGrom went seven innings, gave up uh, three earned runs, and uh, those were basically uh, due in part to a sack fly by. Mookie Betts in a two-run shot by uh, Brock Holt. And then finally in the eighth inning, uh, Benintendi hit the go-ahead run. Bullpen, not so good today. Uh, Pomeranz, two earned runs. Uh, Heath Hembry was charged to one. That was ultimately uh, given up by Joe Kelly. And then Wright closed out the game. So 4-3 to three was the final. 
And uh, from here, we will get into shout-outs and call-outs. And it's still a relatively new segment. Uh, what we will do here is uh, all three of us will call out a, excuse me, shout-out a player who uh, did very well. And we'll discuss what we liked about him. And then we will do our call-outs to a player who did not do very well. So, uh, Jesse, you're the guest. We'll, uh, we'll lead you off in this segment. Who would you like to give your shout-out to? I would give my shout-out to Steve Pierce, uh, who is maybe a guy that, that Red Sox fans, obviously, uh, I'm not exactly immersed in the Red Sox culture as you guys are, um, but I have a feeling that Steve Pierce is the is the kind of guy who could be very easily overlooked uh, just because uh, he just doesn't have the body of work that a lot of other Red Sox players do. Uh, but you look at his numbers on the season, my goodness, 298 batting average, 387 on base percentage, 534 slugging percentage. Those are those are extremely good numbers. And obviously, he's done it over a relatively small sample size. You take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but over this last week, in that in that Met series, he was four for eight. He had a double and a walk. He's got an OPS up over a thousand here in the month of September. I think Steve Pierce is one of those guys uh, that that you know opposing teams may kind of overlook. And I think he's one of those guys that come the playoffs could be a key player for the Red Sox in in playoff baseball. There are always key moments late in games uh, a lot of times these games are decided in those last few innings maybe it's a pinch hitter uh, who is making the difference and and whether steve pierce is in the lineup from the get-go in, in some of those postseason games or whether he's used in that kind of situation i think steve pierce brings a lot uh to the red Sox, and i'm excited to see what he does in the postseason yeah, I mean, he's used a lot against lefties, and Mitch Moreland has been, you know, very dismal for much of the summer. He had that hot start, and and I think he's hitting like 170 uh, over the last uh, 30 games. So Pierce has definitely um, provided a bit of a boost when he's called upon, and and there are some other guys like Swihart has seen some time at first and everything. But as as you were saying, Steve Pierce definitely uh, makes his presence felt, you know, especially in the power department, and and he's a Yankees killer too. So that uh, you know will could certainly help if they end up winning the wild card game. Um, Tyler, go ahead with uh, your shout-out. Yeah, so a lot of people would be surprised at this if I said this a year ago, that I would be shouting out Brock Holt a year later. You know, he had the vertigo problem last year. A lot of people thought his career might be in jeopardy. But, you know, this year he's got five home runs and 41 RBIs and 100 games. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, he's got two home runs in, what, the last two weeks, and, and they're both huge home runs. He's been great for the Red Sox. He's versatile. Um, you, you know, he, you could put him in a situation and you might feel comfortable, even with men on base, that he's going to drive them guys in. He's been great for the Red Sox, and I'm interested to see what ends up happening. You know, when they get to October, are they going to use him or are they going to use Devers? Because I think Nunez is pretty much solidified himself as the guy at third base, you know, barring injury. Yes, and we'll get into uh, the third base situation, but um, Brock Holt is definitely kind of making a case for himself uh, to to be on the roster, and his 
previous home run in the last series was actually a pinch hit uh, situation. Yep. And then yep. he, he had a similar one against Philly earlier in the year, uh, which yep. was with the go-ahead run. So definitely showing some value in, in a couple of different areas. So that's sneaky power. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my shout-out will go to a guy that uh, I have been a critic of uh, very often, not so much lately, but that's Jackie Bradley Jr. Hitting basically uh, 278 in the last month, he had a key uh, RBI double. That was actually initially called a home run, and then upon replay review, he got sent back to second. But two runs did come in on that hit, and still playing very good defense, made some really you know, nice highlight reel type plays uh, throughout the throughout the summer, and um, nice to see because he wasn't he wasn't hitting at the major league level for the first couple of months, and it was particularly aggravating because we could have had Edwin Encarnacion for him straight up. Uh, the Dodgers tried to give us Puig for Bradley straight up. Kind of glad that didn't happen because we're we're a big enough circus without uh Puig as it is and um but uh, you know he was highly pursued throughout the off season and it was just frustrating to see that early uh slump happen and and what he's giving us typically out of the nine hole is phenomenal and when you have guys like Mookie Betts and Andrew Benintendi and and uh JD hitting in the three hole Bradley tends to be scoring a lot of runs uh, on top of everything. So, um, playing very well. So, glad to see it. Yeah. Jesse, uh, let's uh, get into the callouts now. So, go ahead and lead that off. For me, my callout has to be Drew Pomeranz. Um, this is a guy who uh, I think it was, I think it was actually today. Um, in the game today against the Mets, he gave up a couple of runs. Fortunately, uh, the Red Sox were still able to, to come out with that win. Um, but th- this guy's a mess. You know, the, the 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 Red Sox went out. They made a big investment. They traded a high-end prospect to get him uh, from the San Diego Padres. And, and this season, he just hasn't been able to get it together. And, and I know this from personal experience because, um, unfortunately, my fantasy team, uh, I was a big believer in Drew Pomeranz at the beginning of this season. You know, he had a couple rough starts, but I figured he would come around, and he really never did. Uh, you're looking at a 6.17 ERA, a 176 whip. Um, I think this is unfortunate uh, for the Red Sox. I, I would be surprised. Uh, you know, maybe this is where I'd, I'd like to get your guys' input. I'd be surprised to see his name on the postseason roster, a guy with an ERA well over six. Uh, probably not what you're looking for in October. Uh, but just given the investment that they made into Drew Pomeranz, it's really sad to see what he has become. And, you know, he's still still relatively young, 29 years old. He's got uh, some opportunity left to try to turn uh, this thing back around. But for this season, for 2018, Drew Pomeranz has been an enormous disappointment for me. Absolutely. Um, he was something like, I think he was 17-6 and six on the year last year. Not that wins and losses matter, but still no one really saw that coming. And he had like a, a low to mid threes ERA and was the game two starter in the ALDS. So... You know, no one really saw that coming last year. I think he pitched kind of, 
you know, above his baseline, so to speak. And then this year, as you've been saying, he's just been an absolute train wreck. And um, he had, he was injured throughout spring training and just didn't look good when he came back and spent some more time on the DL and just hasn't really found his rhythm. And I think his only saving grace so far is the fact that the bullpen has just been so bad the last month or so. And we haven't really identified a potential long inning guy. Uh, maybe that ends up being a Voldy, but I mean, he's not exactly lighting the world on fire. So I think that's what's kept him around. And then the fact that, you know, you, the roster's expanded, you, you know, that, you know, that helps keep him up here as well. But every time he comes in, it's just automatically giving up a run or two and, and, you know, just walking guys. Absolutely. Forget that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely uh, an easy target for uh, the call out segment. Uh, Tyler, go ahead with yours. I'll go with the uh, other low hanging fruit um, in the person of Joe Kelly, who is, I, I know that his numbers in some aspects are deceiving because he does come in and he does shut it down sometimes. And then other, the other 50% of the time he comes in, he walks a guy, he hits a guy, then there's two on, and then, you know, he gives up a hit, and that's a tying run like he did today. It's just like, how many more opportunities is this guy going to get to be the eighth inning guy or the seventh inning guy? Like, I don't know about you, but I've seen enough of Joe Kelly this season with the Red Sox. He's in the same position as Pomerantz for me. The only thing about Pomerantz is, I think he can get lefties out in, in, in a postseason matchup. So I don't think he will be on the postseason roster, but if he you know finds his way on the postseason roster, it'll be because he can get lefties out. Um, you know, it, he'll be able to neutralize a lefty. And we don't have a lefty in the bullpen. So, I mean, unless you really believe in Robbie Scott or Bobby Pointer. So uh, that, that would be the only thing about Pomeranz. But for Joe Kelly, he has nothing. I mean, I don't care how hard he throws. He doesn't. He doesn't throw strikes consistently enough. And then you know he's walking guys and, and he's giving up hits. It's just I've seen enough of Joe Kelly. Honestly, I have. Yeah, and it's crazy how some fans. You can go on Twitter right now, and you know there'll be some people that will make a case for him to be an eighth inning guy. But really, his most optimal numbers will typically come out of situational type appearances and and specifically if he's not coming in back-to-back games he tends to pitch okay and that's where the numbers can kind of be deceiving he might look better than he actually is but um definitely inconsistent and and streaky and yeah yeah terry i was just gonna i don't mean to cut you off but i was just gonna say as a as a fan sitting and watching the game, I, I shouldn't, but I feel more confident and comfortable watching Stephen Wright come out of the bullpen with runners on base than I would with Joe Kelly coming out of the bullpen. And that's saying something because Wright obviously, you know, throws a knuckleball. And, and you know, you can have guys on first and second and then a pass ball and they're second and third with one out. And, you know, that's a tough jam. But he still finds a way to get out of it. And, right. and Joe Kelly just has no con- – I have no confidence in him whatsoever. None. And But unfortunately, like I was saying, because the bullpen is so bad, I I think he's 
he's going to be used, unfortunately. So um, we got some tough teams coming up, though, uh, starting with the Yankees next. So we'll see. We'll see who you know, you know, lands in certain roles come uh, the ALDS. My uh, call out will go to Andrew Benintendi, who is one for his last twenty three. He did have a sack fly today, which uh, allowed the go ahead run to score and ultimately gave the Red Sox the win, but. We need him to be hitting, you know, to his, um, you know, normal averages, you know, where he's typically a 300 hitter with really good power. And if he's slumping like that and, you know, and I mean, we'll get into Mookie and JD here in just a minute. But if we're going to go deep in the month of October, he definitely has to be hitting better than that. And, uh, he was even the other night in uh, a bit of frustration. This might have been at the end of the last series. Did you see him mouthing off to the Toronto shortstop? <laughs> it's debatable what he said, but it, there was definitely some expletives in there. And, uh, you know, just a, another sign that he's uh, really frustrated at the plate. But anyway, yeah. we'll get into the uh, basically the general uh, Red Sox segment now. Um, Tyler, you haven't been on in a while, uh, at least a month or so. Um, yeah. w- just what's your general take on the Red Sox chances to go deep into October compared to the last couple of years? Uh, I mean, I would love to sit here and tell you, well, they've they've won 103 games. You know, they're going to win the World Series. All is great. You know, we're going to have a parade in 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 downtown Boston. But in in order for that to happen, Chris Sale needs to be healthy. Number one, and yes, he did look good yesterday, but it was only three innings. I need to see consistent pitching out of him, and then you know you need to see David Price pitch well in the postseason, which you just haven't seen. And until I see that, uh, I'm going to have doubts. And until we all see that, because you know most fans will feel the same way. I don't care what you do with 103 wins. You go to the postseason and you get swept, then it doesn't matter. The 103 wins doesn't matter. You could win 97 games, win the division. I mean, maybe not with this division the way it is win 97 games and and end up you know winning the division and end up winning the world series and that's better than 103 and getting swept in my opinion anyways but in terms of the team i think if they're going to win the world series it comes down to one thing and that's pitching are they going to be able to pitch and i'm not talking just about the bullpen because a lot of people are like, well, the bullpen did them in last year. No, not really. The bullpen really didn't do them in at all last year. It was a starting pitching. I mean, think about it. Before they could even blink their eyes, they were down 3 nothing down in Houston in Game 1. And the same thing happened in Game 2. And so before they could even blink their eyes, they're down two games to none coming back home. You can't get down in a hole like that in a five-game series and think you're going to win. For for me to sit here and say I think it's different, the only reason I would say it's different is because J.D. Martinez is in the lineup and he's a big force. But, I mean, the offense wasn't even really the problem last year. It was the, it was the starting pitching. And if that doesn't change, we have zero chance in October. Do you agree or do you disagree? Yeah, and 
I mean, the bullpen to me is is a bigger concern because, and part of that is I don't know. We don't know what Alex Cora is thinking yet. We don't know what he plans to do. And you're saying earlier before the show, some of these games are just unwatchable because. They are. Drew Pomeranz is coming into the game just simply yeah. because we have the luxury of putting Drew Pomeranz into the game. We're not really seeing now what we're going to be seeing in a couple of weeks, and we don't really know yeah. what to expect. And then and then getting to the rotation, I'm not saying I'm not concerned because I am. Um, you know, David Price has not won a game, and he had that July 1st start in Yankee Stadium against Severino, which is exactly what's going to happen in game two of this next series. Same same backdrop. <laughs> and um, But he, he really turned it around after that. And then the Phillies uh, came to town, and I'm like, all right, let's see what he can do against a competitive lineup here. And then he shut him down. And then he played the Indians, who lit him up in that ALDS start uh, the season before last. And... And I'm like, okay, let's see what he does against a lineup that can mash. And he shuts them down. So this is another step on Wednesday to where my confidence level may rise a little bit if if Price can go into Yankee Stadium where he has like an 8-plus something ERA. And if he looks good, then we'll see, you know, and... He's pitching with a bit of a chip on his shoulder, which he hasn't really done at any point in his career. So we'll see if that translates to anything. I'm a David Price hater. I would love nothing more than for him to opt out, even if we do win the World Series. And, you know, people are going to roll their eyes because they're going to be like, oh, Terry, you're such a hater. And I, I can't stand the guy. But but um, we'll see. And we don't know you know how healthy sale is i mean he it's certainly trending the right way as you said only one strikeout today i, I would have liked to have seen him punch out a couple more but um you know we'll we'll see how that plays out but here's the other thing we know that porcello and erod are going to be the game three and four starters do you do you throw Porcello into Game Three automatically because he's a righty, and and, and you're going to have two lefties before him, and then and then Erod after him, or do you, or is Erod simply the better of those two, and he's going to go Game Three no matter what? No, I would go Porcello. I think I think that would be that would be my thing because and it depends. It all depends on what the series is, you know. Because if it's one one coming back. Or you know, go into Yankee Stadium, let's say, and Porcello goes in there and he pitches well. I, I mean, I think the righty means everything because you know, then you break up. You don't want to throw three lefties at any point in time. I don't think, anyways, unless you got three Kershaws going or you know, three Chris Sales going at, at the same time, which you obviously you don't. So I don't know. I mean. I think it's important to switch it up. I'm, I mean, I'm a little old school in that in that regards, but that's just my thoughts. Well, I guess if we're you know if we're one one or just by the grace of God up two to nothing, you know, by the time game three rolls around, then you know it. Porcello in that start looks good, but I'm typically used to we're used to being down zero for two at that point, and. You know, I, I think you just got to go. You got to ride the the hotter hand in Game Three. So, but you know, there's so many 
dominoes have to fall before you get to that point. Jesse, from the uh, outside looking in, what's your take on the Red Sox, and how do you think they stack up with the other potential uh, playoff teams in the American League? I think, unfortunately for uh, the Red Sox, the postseason is a completely different beast from the regular season. This is something we've uh, seen over and over and over again in the past. Teams who are you know, built to win in the regular season, but come the playoffs, it's kind of a different picture. Um, and unfortunately, as much as I would uh, love to come on your show and, and uh, you know, sing from the rooftops that the Red Sox uh, are my favorites to win the World Series, uh, I think the Houston Astros are are the team that yep. in this American League is 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 built for the playoffs. And, and maybe that's just because, you know, they won it last year. We've seen it before. We know they can do it. Uh, but I just I just have a lot more faith um, in the Astros, especially when it comes to their rotation. You look at Justin Verlander, one of the one of the greatest uh, game time, all time, you know, big moment type pitchers that you want in those big games. He's going to be probably the number one for the Astros. You've got Garrett Cole, who has come on and had a phenomenal season. Uh, you've got Charlie Morton, um, who, who has also been great once again for the Astros. You've got Dallas Keuchel. Um, who, as a number four starter, is is pretty dang good. Uh, the Red Sox, I think they they really have about an equal amount of talent. Uh, I don't think there's you know a, an enormous split when it comes to talent. Uh, but the problem is, I don't trust David Price in the playoffs, and I think there's a long storied history there that I'm sure all of you guys or both of you guys are aware of. This is a guy who who has struggled on the big stage in his career. And, and behind him, you've got Rick Porcello, who I think is a solid pitcher. Um, but I would, I would probably favor uh, Charlie Morton maybe slightly in that matchup. I think that would be pretty close if, if those guys were to meet in a game three. Um, but I also think that Eduardo Rodriguez is, is a bit of a – he's a little bit far-fetched uh, just because he's a young guy. Uh, he's more of a five-inning type pitcher at this point in his career, although he has been very, very good um, this season. So – I think the Red Sox have the pieces. I wouldn't be surprised if they won the World Series. They've won 103 games with, with you know two weeks to go in the season for a reason. This is a really good baseball team. They've got a fiery offense. J.D. Martinez, Mookie Betts. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's one of the best offenses I think baseball has seen in a long time. They're at 799 runs scored this season, uh, which is a really impressive number. I don't think any team in baseball is really even close to that at this point. Um but on the whole, like I've said, I have my concerns about the Red Sox come the playoffs, uh, and hopefully they can prove me wrong. As we're all hoping as well, and you mentioned Houston, and really they are the most complete team in Major League Baseball all the way through. They made some nice trades to bolster their bullpen, which was really underrated in the first half of the season. They they were a top three or four bullpen before acquiring Ryan Presley and Roberto Ozuna. And both of those guys have just been absolutely lights out, last I checked anyway. And and then their lineup's healthy again. They've got Correa back, Altuve back. Bregman has just been an absolute monster all year. And guys like Marwin Gonzalez, you know, have been stepping up. And uh, Yuli Gurriel. And, uh, and then obviously... The, I, 
the Indians have a great rotation. I uh, I meant to check to see what the status of Trevor Bauer was. I think he still is uh, slated to pitch a bullpen this week, but um, assuming he's healthy, I mean, you got Kluber, Bauer, Clevenger has quietly put together a really good year, and um, and then Carrasco has been he's up to 16, 17 wins in um, ERA in the mid threes. The Red Sox are his boogeyman, but uh, aside from them, that's a great rotation. And, you know, back to Houston, Cole, uh, Verlander, Keuchel, Morton, and uh, just absolutely phenomenal. And I, I didn't check the status of McCullers, actually, but I think he is... Uh, Expected to be back to potentially be a long reliever uh, in October. So, so t- I mean, Tyler, what do you think outside of the Red Sox? I mean, who who are you most afraid of right now? I honestly, and and this might just sound you know cliche, but I, a lot of people are like, well, the Yankees and you know the Indians. The Indians are the team that scare me the most. I, I hate to say because I have I have. Not, not literally, but you know, I always think back to that series that we that we met them in. Uh, what was it, 2016 in that ALDS when they swept us? Uh, that that's the team that scares me. I know Miller hasn't been the same guy this year, but he it's still that that guy scares me. And then that lineup now they got Donaldson in that lineup. Plus that they got um, you know a great bullpen. It's just. And I know their numbers aren't great, but they got some guys in that bullpen, and when the lights turn bright, that team just, for some reason, has our number. And I hope I hope when it gets to October and if we have to meet them, that, that that matchup would go in our favor. But that team scares me, and so are the Oakland A's, by the way. Yeah, and we'll actually get into the, the wild card situation in a second here, but... Um... You know, you mentioned the Indians, and they're going to face the Astros. So if they were to beat the Astros, then clearly they're going to be scary, you know, by the time we potentially meet with them in the uh, ALCS. And Terry Francona, one of the greatest postseason managers ever, and I would say definitely the best of, of our era. And yep. I just, I just, this is what I've been thinking the last week. We were down three to nothing against the Yankees in the ALCS. We make history, come back, win four straight. Nobody's ever done it. Similar situation in 07. We're down three to one against the Indians, come back, win three straight. And here we are with this current crop. This is going to be the third straight ALDS. And we've only won one game. Like, we can't even win a series, let alone make an epic comeback to to win a series, you know. So it's just going to be really interesting to see how Alex Cora kind of maneuvers this team through a lot of those games. And and then I guess, you know, we, we've, we've already said, you know, the Astros and the Indians will be on the other side of the bracket. So that leaves Oakland and New York, you know, and we'll face the winner of them. What do you expect out of that matchup, Jesse, in the wild card game? I think that matchup is is going to be extremely thrilling. Um, I am 
always a fan of the underdog when it comes to baseball. And I think if the Oakland A's can go into, I mean, you know, heck, we don't even know where that game's going to be played yet. These teams are, are really, really close. Right now, the A's are only a game and a half behind the Yankees um, in that wild card race. Uh, but if they could go in there, if they could, you know, go into Yankee Stadium or if the Yankees come into their place in the Coliseum, uh, I think it would be an unbelievable spectacle of baseball to see the Oakland A's come out on top. Uh, this is a team that that very few people had any expectations for, uh, me included, if I'm being perfectly honest. I did not see the Oakland A's as a team that could go 30 games over 500, which nope. is exactly what they've done so far. Just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, Matt Chapman, I think, is going to be a superstar. Uh, he already is, is probably in the MVP conversation uh, just based on his defense um, and, and what he brings to the game offensively as well. Uh, just up and down that roster, that Oakland A's team is a sneaky good baseball team, and I'm sure that you know for you guys out there in Boston, I don't think I don't think anyone uh, would be sad to see the Oakland A's come out on top in that series. And I think it, in some ways it would be bad for baseball uh, because you know the Yankees and the Red Sox, it's an iconic matchup. Everyone wants to see that in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, but at the same time, I think it'd be really good for baseball because it would be it'd be the you know the restoration of this idea that any team in this game can succeed, whether you're a big market team, whether you're a small market team, whether you have any expectations placed on you at all. Uh, the A's are that kind of Cinderella story this season, and to see them you know go into Yankee Stadium or take that game at home, I think would be huge. It's going to be a stretch. I don't think the A's really have any starting pitcher who matches up favorably um, in that wild card game. It, it, they're going to have to get lucky in some sense. But baseball is a game where, where things like that happen. Um, and I, I think it would be, at least for me, I think it would be incredible to see that uh, that happen in that in that wild card game. So who would you favor right now? Like if it started tomorrow, and who do you start? Who are your pitching? Who are your starting pitchers while we're at it? For the Oakland A's? Yeah, and the Yankees. Like, like if it started tomorrow, how, a, how do you see it play out? I think that's a difficult question. <laughs> uh, if you're the A's, you've had you've had some kind of random luck uh, with with several different starting pitchers. Uh, it's really interesting. I'm looking at their at their pitching statistics right now, and they only have one starter who is qualified. Uh, they only have one guy this season who has pitched enough innings to qualify for the ERA title. Uh, and that man is Sean Manaya. Uh, Sean Manaya has a 359 ERA um, in 27 starts. He's been uh, very consistent. Uh, but the A's have gotten some very random contributions, if we're being honest. Trevor Cahill, uh, a guy who a lot of people thought was had, was washed up and done several years ago. He's come out. He has a 377 ERA. He's been really good. Uh, Edwin Jackson is maybe the biggest one. Uh, a guy who seems to you know float from team to team every year, posting ugly ERA. Is not really getting a whole lot of recognition. He has a 317 ERA uh, for the A's this season. So they they would have some options. I, if it were me, it'd probably be Sean Manaya just because he is. Uh, probably the steadiest presence um, that the A's have um, on the on the Yankees side. I would say it's probably uh, Luis Severino, even though he has not been good in in the second half of the season. I don't know if there's really another obvious option there. Um, so I, I think it'd be interesting because I I don't know if the starting pitching matchup would really decide that baseball game. Well, actually, uh, because, you, 
Actually, Jesse, uh, Manaya is uh, actually out with a shoulder injury and not uh, probably going to be back. That's a fairly recent development, but um, you make a good point. That came out on September 11th. My apologies. So they don't okay. have Sean Manaya, right? Uh, so, th- so this, this, uh, I guess that you know makes me question the situation all the more. Edwin Jackson is he your guy in the wild card game? Is it Trevor Cahill? Uh, I just think if the A's win that game, I think I think a lot of people around the game in baseball would be laughing pretty hard. Well, I think it's Mike Fires. That's the guy I would go to. But, you know, he's pitching very well since the trade. Had a two-something ERA last I checked. And uh, I think even Brett Anderson could be a viable um, a viable option for that game. Um, mm-hmm. But what it, it might come down to is what's more important to them in the last three or four games going for home field advantage or simply just getting the rotation set for that playoff game and uh, and then beyond. So it, it's tough to tell what Billy Bean and, and Bob Melvin, um, you know, have have in mind. But, you know, they are about a game and a half out. So if the Red Sox really thump the Yankees, that could certainly help their, their case. So we got six games left against them. So, but I think I think Oakland's the better team for sure and I look at the Yankees similarly as I did to when they went into the 2015 wild card game against the Astros and that was Tanaka versus Keuchel and Keuchel of course went on to win the Cy Young uh that year and uh, it's just not a Yankees team that's that's built for the postseason I I feel like and I yeah, I should have the more I get into this show, the less prepared I realize I was because I know uh, Judge is uh, taking swings, but I don't know. Um... He played. Oh, he played? Yeah. So he's been activated? Yeah, he played. Uh, There's like a famous clip on Friday night of him giving a foul ball to, or a ball to a girl or something. <laughs> oh, wow. So he, he yeah. must not be having any uh, ill effects. From the wrist injury. No, I think he played all weekend long. Okay. All right. So that definitely adds a different... I'm, I'm looking at his page right now. It looks like he, he was activated on Friday, but they said he remains several days away from being able to hit. Uh, so I don't think he's actually taken an at-bat. Okay. Uh, so he's, yeah, you're right. He was yeah. just in the field. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I um I was kind of would have been really surprised if I uh, if I missed that, but uh, you know I, I have been a little busy. Uh, I'm actually going to be uh, going to Milwaukee on Tuesday, and I'll be at the Brewers game that night uh, against the Reds, and and then the following Monday I'll be at the Cubs game in Wrigley before I come home. So <laughs> it's going to be pretty hectic uh, for me the next several days anyway. Um, but, yeah, so it's just tough to tell. I mean, they certainly don't look like a postseason team. And when, if and when Aaron Judge comes back, I mean, a wrist injury is one of the tougher ones to come back from from a hitting perspective because, you know, it's hitting a 90, you know, 98, 99-mile-an-hour fastball is pretty violent on your hands and wrist. And, you know, will the confidence be there and – Will he be rusty? It's just tough to tell what kind of production he could potentially give them. And um, and then their 
their rotation is just so up and down. Severino, I guess, was pretty good in his last start. He got pulled um, after only 83 pitches. He was absolutely dealing, but a couple starts before that, not so good. Tanaka's been up and down. Jay Happ has been pretty good for them, and uh, Sabathia and, and Lance Lynn, uh, not so much. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm really... I well Tyler who who we just talked about how we think that matchup could go who do you prefer like who's the best Red Sox matchup uh, I mean the A's but I mean I I I'm I'd be lying to you if probably since 2007 maybe I've been hoping and dreaming that there would be another Yankees-Red Sox series that would ignite the rivalry like it was, you know, 15 15 years ago. Uh, You know, now I've gotten older and I realize that, you know, maybe the game's just not the same anymore. It's not looked at the same way. But I think if the Red Sox and the Yankees were to play in a postseason series, it would change everything. I think the hatred would be there, uh, uh, maybe not like it was 15 years ago, but it would be there. Um, and I think that that would be a great matchup for baseball. Now, if you're just talking a, um, a perspective of, of who, do you, who do you think the Red Sox can beat, I mean, it's got to be the Oakland A's. We just went through the starters. I mean, Brett Anderson, Edwin Jackson. I know these guys have had good, pretty good years with the A's, but, I mean, none of those guys are Luis Severino or, or even Masahiro Tanaka. So, I mean, or, or <laughs> heck, you guys are going to be like, well, Sabathia is old. But, I mean, none of those guys have the pedigree of Sabathia. And then, you know, the lineup of, of the Yankees is just better than the, the lineup of the A's. Uh, just, I like the Yankees more than the A's, um, you know, if, if you're talking entertainment-wise. Yeah, well, it's crazy to think that we haven't even faced them in the postseason since... 2004 you know so. yeah it, it was 99 and then it was 2000 or no it was 2000 and then it was 2003 and 2004 and ever since then we haven't played it's crazy we've had chances to play uh, i think it was last year if we would have won and they would have won we would have played each other and then i think there was 07 where we beat cleveland and or, or no, is that the American League Championship? So anyways, I mean, there there's been a few chances that we've had to play them, and it just hasn't lined up. I think this year is a year that it could line up. I kind of hope. I kind of hope it would be pretty awesome to see the Sox and the Yankees again. Yeah, and I mean, I think we have a better chance to beat the Yankees. To be honest with you. Um, the one thing we haven't discussed yet about Oakland is their bullpen is scary good. You know, Blake Trinan, one of the yep. best closers in baseball this year. They just got uh, Juris Familia from the Mets. He's pitched fairly well for them. They kind of got Sean Kelly in a very odd situation where he was simply DFA'd because he spiked his glove on the uh, mound after <laughs> giving up a home run. And, uh, you know, the organization thought that that was a bad look. But that organization, the Washington Nationals, is a complete dumpster fire as far as I'm concerned. And um, But anyway, uh, Oakland reaped the rewards and was able to acquire him. They have Fernando Rodney, who the Red Sox kind of have his number. But 
Um, Everyone has his number. <laughs> well, he was pitched well for you guys, <laughs> I thought, but but he can definitely lose his mind at times and not pitch well. Um, right. But yeah, but it's still a good bullpen, and our offense, the Red Sox offense can fall asleep at times and I just feel like if we don't have a lead by the end of the sixth inning we're probably not going to be getting it against a team like Oakland and that's scary to me and if Severino's off and Hap is just you know average I just I don't know that that's a much better rotation the way they are trending you know than than what Oakland's putting out there and Oakland did beat us four out of six in the season series before they had a chance to make any upgrades as well. So, Terry, I, I will ask you one question though. I mean, if it's three pitchers, let's just say Brett Anderson or two pitchers, just for the sake of the argument, would you rather see Tanaka and Severino, or would you rather see Brett Anderson and Edwin Jackson? Well, I think, well, yeah, Fires would pitch the... More uh, Fires. He would pitch the wild card game. That's what I'm boldly going to assume. So, um, <laughs> it's so tough. I mean, we've lit up Severino, and he shut us down in that July start. And uh, I haven't watched Edwin Jackson, admittedly. Um, but it's... I don't know. It's it's hard. It's it's hard to put one team ahead of the other based on the way they're trending. If they're if both teams are performing to their fullest potential, the Yankees are, are way scarier. But right, they're just not that team right now. And um, I don't know that Aaron Boone is really the guy calling the shots, or if he's taking orders from upstairs. Um, it's just hard to tell. It's just hard to tell. The Yankees should win that game, but I just I don't know I I don't and um, and then the, we have the monkey on our back from the last two postseasons. So I mean, look at the Cleveland series from a couple of years ago. They didn't have Carrasco. They lost someone else in their rotation. Basically, their starting rotation was was um, Kluber Bauer, who wasn't very good at the time. He hadn't really broken out. He had like a ERA near five on the year, and then uh, Clevenger was basically a spot starter type guy, and we thought, oh, we got this. You know, this is going to be an easy series. They didn't have Brantley all year, and um, we got swept. <laughs> we got swept. So, um, I, you know, I just we just need to play well. And I guess the thing that I keep coming back to in my mind is we do have six games left against this Yankees team, who is going to put their best foot forward every game because they want to they want that wild card game played in Yankee Stadium. So they're going to they're going to be trotting out their best guys and we might be getting Drew Pomeranz or whatever because Alex Cora feels like it and uh so it's tough to tell but you know if we still manage to thump the Yankees here I think Oakland could still be the the scarier team for sure. Um, let's get over, uh, just to a couple of Red Sox, uh, things before we, uh, move into MLB wide. Um, should Chris Sale, uh, Tyler, should Chris Sale win the Cy Young, you know, with pitching so few innings here in the second half, regardless of... Absolutely not. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I, I think agree. I, I think Blake Snell. Blake Snell's the guy, and and if not Snell, then I would go Kluber, Verlander. I mean, you can't. I I saw your argument. Like you can't say that Sales put all the effort. I mean, it's not his fault that he got hurt. But I mean, you can't reward a guy for not being durable. I'm sorry, that's just not the way it works. You know, I mean, Sale. Or, or, I'm sorry, Kluber and Verlander. The, both of those guys are horses. I mean, you saw Verlander's stat it, it, seven years in a row with 200 innings or something ridiculous like that. It's like that guy's a freaking horse, and you know, probably the biggest horse of our of my time, anyways. Now. Um, and then you know Kluber and like those guys are just ridiculous. And, and to to say that just because Sale has you know the the ERA that he has and you know with the amount of wins he has that he should win it, it's just ridiculous. I don't think that's the case. And I know he's pitched great when he's pitched, but the problem is he hasn't pitched in in a while, and he hasn't pitched a full game in since what July. So yeah, I'm sorry, that's just not the way it works. I would I would go with one of the other guys. Yeah, I think he did have a five-inning uh, start. That was the Oakland one where he racked up the strikeouts and came out with a big lead. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree. But, Jesse, where, where do you stand on that? Like, do you think he has a solid enough case to win the, the Cy Young for the American League? Or, or like Tyler, do you do you prefer one of the other three candidates? I think it's really interesting because if you if you go on uh, ESPN actually has their own little Cy Young predictor uh, and it basically just uses a bunch of a bunch of their stats and combines them into into a single number and then they rank based on that number. Um, number one on the list is Blake Snell. Um, I, I think he makes a lot of sense. Nineteen and five, two point zero three ERA. Uh, also doesn't have you know an extra an extraordinary number of innings under his belt. Twenty eight starts, one hundred and sixty four innings. Uh, I believe he, he's probably missed a couple of starts this season that have contributed to that. Uh, what, what's interesting, though, is that Chris Sale is number 10 on this list. Uh, he mm. is he is followed by, believe it or not, number two on the list is Blake Trinan. Uh, number three is Edwin Diaz. I don't know how you guys feel about, uh, you know, throwing a closer into the Cy Young conversation. Uh, but Chris Sale is all the way down at number 10, and it probably is because uh, he just doesn't have the body of work. And I think it's it's nothing against Chris Sale. You know, every pitcher gets hurt some more than others. Maybe, you know, maybe Chris Sale is a little bit less durable. Uh, but I think that's part of, of winning the Cy Young Award. It's not only how well you perform. It's, you know, how often do you perform? And how much do you give your team when you're out on the field? And when you consider those numbers, you know, a Corey Kluber or a Justin Verlander, I think would make uh, probably a lot more sense. Uh, than Chris Sale, even though, you know, 192 ERA, 222 strikeouts over 150 innings, just unbelievable numbers. Uh, but I have to agree that I, I don't think it would be his year to win the Cy Young Award. Yeah, and it's just so ironic that he was up today against Jake DeGrom, who in all likelihood will win the National League Cy Young, who has been pretty durable throughout the year. I think he might have had a brief DL stint uh, early in the spring, but... But has after today's start has pitched 202 innings, and so it's like two different animals out there in a way. And you know, one guy has worked really hard all season long, and the other guy, you know, unfortunately has been injured. And 
you know, it, it's just kind of, it was a weird matchup, you know, because so many Red Sox fans will tell you, oh, Chris Sale all day long should get it. And, you know, and that's obviously a homer take. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I kind of like, I, I don't mind Snell. I think he's going to be close to about 180 innings by the end of the year, unless Kevin Cash just decides to shut certain guys down, which... You know, I, I wouldn't blame him at this point because they, they are out of it. But if he does come out around 180, that's a respectable number of innings, I feel like. And I'm a huge Justin Verlander guy. His whip is uh, well below one, and and I think opponents are batting just barely over 200 against him. And like Tyler said, is just an absolute horse. He's actually, I say it on the podcast over and over, but he's my favorite non-Red Sox pitcher or player even like there is no mm. player you know closer to the gods than than Verlander is and I just love his presence <laughs> I love the influence he has on everybody and I just I'm I'm a huge fan and we could have had him over Chris Sale and I would take Verlander all day any day over Chris Sale a few years ago I think the Red Sox just didn't want to take on the uh the contract and we're willing to give up the prospects for sale and um you know sale could kill it in the in the postseason this year and maybe I, I would back off of that but but verlander did win a world series with the astros and and uh i i love the guy <laughs> i really do yeah so um yeah, interesting uh, to see how, how that plays out. And then final Red Sox topic, and then we'll very briefly just do the pitching matchups and then uh, get to the MLB wide. But, Tyler, what do you make of the third base situation right now? There's no clear choice. I mean, we think it might be Nunez, but how, do you, how would you like to see that play out? Who should be your everyday third baseman uh, starting in the month of October? I would go with Nunez. I think they will go with Nunez. I think you'll see Devers at some point in time, maybe against righties, um, and you could do Nunez against lefties. Uh, but, I mean, there's no real, like you said, there's no real clear-cut guy. And the only thing is, is like Devers has more power. But and you know that that can play in October. But I mean, are you going to take all the strikeouts and all the the pop ups on the first pitch and everything like that? It's like at least Nunez is going to give you a professional, you know, at bat. He is still aggressive too, but you know, at least he's going to give you a professional at bat just about every time he comes to the plate. So and good defense on top of it all because that's going to be important in October. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what I I go to. I mean. So many close games from the 2013 postseason, and you know, I don't know how many times Uihara. I think he came in six or seven times with a one-run lead, and and you look at the Middlebrook situation where they had that interference call, and Saltalamakia did have a bad throw, so I'm not saying it was all on Middlebrooks, but you know, you still want to have your best possible defender there, and. Nunez kind of got a bit of a bad rap at, you know, playing second for much of the first half and kind of recovering from a serious knee injury and, and, uh, but has been pretty good over at third base. And I kind of get the impression that Alex Cora is a big Nunez guy. Like, yeah. 
he could be not that he's as nearly as good of a defender as Stephen Drew, but it was very evident in the 2013 postseason that John Farrell was a big Stephen Drew guy, and and he was going to start over Bogarts. And um, I just feel like it's a similar situation right now with uh, Nunez. Um, Jesse, what what's your take on on the third base situation? As an outsider, I I don't I don't see it as an obvious uh, situation at all. I mean, I guess you guys probably don't either. You you know you just kind of have to choose someone, and so Nunez appears to be you know maybe the best guy. I would I don't think I would settle on on a guy as an you know as an everyday player. I would maybe play the matchups. I don't think any of these guys in contention for that third base slot have necessarily you know set themselves apart um, as as you know being the everyday guy. Uh, Did I lose you, Jesse? That really impressed me. A 287. You're not going to find very many starting starting players on a, on a playoff baseball team with a 287 on base percentage. That is a very low number. Um, and, and he does have a little bit of power. I, uh, you know, 10 home runs is is not nothing. Uh, you know, now uh, in in today's day and age, that's not fantastic. Um, I think Nunez is an asset on the base paths that could be useful maybe late in games. I guess. It does look like he's slowed down a little bit, only seven stolen bases this year compared to 24 last year. Uh, but for me, this is, this is far from uh, you know a foregone conclusion. If it's me, I, I would probably go with Devers. I think he has a higher ceiling. Uh, I think some sometimes those young players really thrive in that big moment on that big stage. Uh, I think you know maybe maybe giving Devers that opportunity would be would be good for his growth as a player. It could That's be a good point. You know, and my biggest thing was I was kind of harping on the fact that Devers probably should have been sent down to AAA last May or June to just kind of work on some stuff. And you know, if all went well, maybe it only would have he only would have been down there maybe three or four weeks. But I think we're still kind of paying the price for not doing that and not you know managing him and guiding him uh, as good as we probably could have and. Because, I mean, when the season started, we're thinking he's going to have a monster year based on his second half last year. And he, he had a couple of key moments in the postseason last year as well. And it just, this year has been a profound disappointment, I think, uh, as far as his uh, development goes. And if he does, I, I guess I don't really have a problem with him starting so much these games. But, you know, if we get to the sixth or seventh inning and we're sitting on a, a narrow lead or maybe we're down, you know, by a run or two. I just, I'd rather see Holt or Nunez come in uh, for those later innings just to kind of prevent any of those uh, errors from happening. So, and then another thing that's interesting to me too is Brandon Phillips is on our roster and kind of made a statement in uh, in one of his first games with the Red Sox and hit the go ahead run and he's a I know he's been a career second baseman but he's still a Gold Glove defender and I think would be fine at third base and I'm just surprised that Alex Cora isn't doing his due diligence to to give him a few more looks over there you know while he has the luxury of doing so. 
It was just last season. I'm looking at Brandon Phillips' numbers right now. He had 285 last year, uh, 13 homers, 60 RBIs. I, I'm with you on this, Terry. I think that's a really good idea to maybe at least give him a look. He's a veteran guy. I don't think he would be intimidated by uh, the postseason stage at all. He's got good hands, uh, even you know maybe at a position he's unfamiliar with. I think it's, I, I think he's definitely worth a look. Absolutely, and uh, but it just he he hasn't seemed to be. Um you know, slotted in anywhere, even at second, you know, to give Kinsler uh, some time off as well. And just kind of curious. And he he's kind of a victim of that growing trend where a lot of these guys who are still 35, 36, 37 years old who could still hit um, just aren't really valued anymore. And they basically have to sign for peanuts if they want to continue to play. Joey Bats has been kind of kicked around between the Mets and the Braves. And did he get traded again? I can't remember. He's with the Phillies now. Oh, he's with he? the yeah. He is with the Phillies. So uh, he was willing to take you know a minimal contract just to you know continue to play, but. So many other players weren't, and uh, and Matt Holiday too. I mean, why wouldn't anybody want Matt Holiday? You know, in the mm-hmm. month of May and June, you know, and he came back and started to make an immediate impact uh, with the Rockies. So, um, so just another one of those uh, situations, and I, I think Brandon Phillips uh, falls into that category, unfortunately. So, um, we'll just go through the uh, the. Red Sox Yankees matchup super quick here. Um, I had them there. They are uh, game one on Tuesday. Curiously, that's a one oh five start. Normally, you see that uh, in the series finale. So I'm kind of curious as to why they're doing that in the series opener in the middle of the week. But uh, Nathan Evoldi versus uh, Jay Happ. I think we can kind of agree that Happ should be kind of favored in that matchup. He's been pretty solid. But, Tyler, what would you like to see out of Evoldi uh, in game one? Uh, I mean, go more than five innings. I mean, it feels like every game that he's pitched, he's gone less than five innings, and he's gotten lit up in a, in a few of them besides, you know, the first game. So, I mean, pitch well. I mean, give give yourself an opportunity to maybe – maybe start or even even make the uh, postseason roster for pitching in the bullpen. Because if not, I mean, he's going to be another one of those guys where we gave up an asset to get a starter where we should have probably given up an asset to get a relief pitcher. And it's kind of dumbfounding here that the Red Sox are going to have to play matchups when it comes to the seventh and eighth inning. I mean, I heard Cora talking the other day. He was talking about, you know, sinker slider guys and, and attacking, or, or I'm sorry, attacking guys uh, that you know that like the the ball up with you know some sinkers and sliders, and it's like, do we? We're the Boston Red Sox. I'm sorry, we're not the Oakland A's. We're not any of those teams where where we should have to play matchups and and this and that and the other thing in the seventh and the eighth inning. I mean, but if anything, we should at least have an eighth inning guy, and and that puts a hell of a lot of stress on Alex Cora. And uh, that could do us in in the postseason. It certainly could. And the one thing I'm kind of looking at here with Evaldi is I think we're we're kind of sure that he is not going to be 
a starting pitcher in in the month of October, barring you know something unforeseen, an injury, or you know if someone just kind of falls off a cliff, I guess. But he could kind of take the start and maybe make his case to be you know a two or three inning uh, you know long guy who we we don't really haven't really identified yet. Maybe Stephen Wright becomes that guy, but. Um, he can certainly make an interesting case here if he were to pitch well. Uh, game two, David Price against Luis Severino. Um, I'm wondering if that's even going to be a nationally televised game. I know ESPN has done some Wednesday games, but, um, but you know, we obviously know that Price is all but locked into the rotation no matter what happens from here out. But, uh, Jesse, do you think that maybe this can decide maybe if Severino pitches that one-game wild card? I think it's definitely a big moment for Severino. He has had one of the one of the most spectacular fall-offs that you've ever seen from, you know, an ace caliber pitcher. He had a phenomenal first half of the season. Really just hasn't been the same guy since. And I don't think that what Severino did last year in the postseason is going to help his case at all either. Um, So this is a big moment for Luis Severino. He needs to go in there. Uh, He needs to prove himself. He's still only 24 years old. Still a very, very young pitcher. I think a lot of people forget that. Um, and then on the Red Sox side, I think David Price, this is another big moment for him, a guy who I think you mentioned earlier hasn't won a game um, super recently at all. Um, and I actually have a, an interesting question to post to you guys. From from the Diamondbacks' perspective, the David Price-Zach Greinke comparisons have gone on uh, for a little while. Uh, you know, Obviously, those are probably the two uh, biggest-name guys that were signed back in that offseason in 2016, a couple years back. If you guys could do it over again, would you still take David Price over Zach Greinke? No, no. I love Zach Greinke, to be honest with you. Hmm. Tyler, what are your thoughts on it? And then I'll continue. Well, that's a really tough one. And, and, you know, not to not to discredit what Zach Greinke is as a pitcher. I think he's a great pitcher. I just think that, I mean, it kind of shows you that, not that he didn't want to win because I thought the Diamondbacks had an opportunity to win, but he also he had the chance to be a one-two with Kershaw, and and he turned that down to go to Arizona. Not, not saying there's anything wrong with Arizona, but it, it, that's not pitching in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles is nothing like pitching in Boston. And, and I'm not saying that David Price can pitch in Boston. But I certainly don't think Zach Greinke could pitch in Boston just because of uh, how quiet and, and not weird he is. But he's just his personality is a little bit different than than Price. But I do think they're similar. I think that if Zach Greinke were to struggle in the postseason, it would be the same exact thing. And so I, I mean, if I had to do it all over again, I would take Price honestly. Yeah, I. That's just... really interesting. I just I don't like his attitude and um you know maybe maybe he turns it around maybe he does win I don't think he will I you know I think he's a raging head case Grinky has had a very highly publicized um issue with anxiety which I guess was dealt with several years ago but 
<laughs> I, I think David Price might have the same thing, and he's just unmedicated, and and you know, Grinky's more humble, more reserved, and I just think I think the Boston fans would have. Um, I don't know. They kind of would have stayed behind him, even if he did struggle. I mean, we see that with Jackie Bradley, and I, I know Bradley's a, a position player, but just the vast majority of the ban- fan base will never give up on Jackie Bradley. And I think I think the same would have been for uh, Grinky. And, you know, he kind of... You know he's kind of changed his his game with the uh, with that slider and and how many guys really pitch that well into their mid thirties anymore? <laughs> and so not very many. Yeah, I I just I like him and and I would have, but admittedly, I mean there are pros and cons to both, and in the end of the day, it's close enough that it just comes down to preference and. I uh, I like Grinky, <laughs> and but you know it didn't it didn't work out that way, and um, you know you guys have no idea how bad I want David Price to opt out, and I don't care what's at stake next year. <laughs> I want that guy off of my baseball team. So yeah, good good. Question, I mean, I agree huh? with you. I'm not I'm not the biggest David Price supporter either, but. I, I mean, I do, th- and and you know, I would love for him to opt out too. But if he's gone, then what do you do? It's just sale, and then Porcello, and well, I guess you could go out and get somebody. But I mean, who's even a free agent pitcher this year? Yeah, they would have to kind of get creative and 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 whatnot. But the conversation they don't have prospects to deal. No, they don't. And uh, groom is still two or three years away. And uh, yeah, that would that would put a lot of pressure on Chris Sale. A lot. It could. It could. I just hate David Price. I'm I'm probably not rational at this point, <laughs> but um, I don't think he's going anywhere. But but uh, like like I'm just saying, like they they they've tried to do replicate what they did with. And not, I'm not saying that 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 sale and price are shilling and Pedro. So don't think that, but they're trying to replicate that. That's what they're trying to do with, with this pitching staff. So, but if, if that happens where price opts out, you're screwed because then you don't have that one, two punch. You have to, like you said, get creative, make a trade. But the problem is you don't have prospects. And then I don't really know who there is to sign. I think Jay Happ is a free agent. I mean, do you really want Jay Happ? It's not the same as price. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's too early to really know, and you could make a signing like that and just kind of tread water till the trade deadline, and then try to make a move there. Um, they're going to have to address the bullpen. Um, Travis Lakins and Durbin Feltman are both, um, you know, top end relief prospects within the system that we could see potentially make the roster. Uh, out of spring training or you know a month or so into the season so um, you just never know I mean we didn't expect to win I'm I'm guessing it's going to be at least 107 108 games I mean we've never seen that in our lifetime and and then go back to 2013 I mean who really saw that coming off of a last place finish and I mean we brought in guys like 
Napoli and Victorino, and I'm thinking, geez, that's it, you know, and <laughs> and it just it worked out, and and the one thing though with David Price is maybe he's the new John Lackey, where Lackey, you know, wasn't great, you know, kind of struggled, and then he was out for a year, and then in the second to last year of his deal, he wins the World Series with us, and and played a. a I mean, he was just as critical as John Lester was that that one zero performance against uh, Verlander, and then I think in the World Series he even came out of the pen for an inning, and he pitched in the clinching game, and he did, yeah. And then he pitched Game Six when we won the World Series, but that one postseason kind of justified the contract and completely changed the narrative on John Lackey because nobody liked that guy. And nobody liked that. Yeah, <laughs> and now it's like everybody's like, "Oh, we love Lackey," you know, and you know, because Red Sox fans are full of shit. But uh, but with David Price, he will have an opportunity to rapidly change the narrative, and and not that he, I mean, he's his ERA is like one and a half, you know, since the All Star break. So he, I guess, he kind of already has in a way, but. Um, a couple of wins in the month of October would certainly go a long way with that. And um, last game of the series, before we transition here, uh, Rodriguez, Tanaka, not a whole lot there, just basically two guys just trying to get dialed in for what they're hoping is a, is a lengthy postseason. And Erod does, surprisingly, have very good numbers at Yankee Stadium. Um, he's... Uh, yeah, his ERA at Yankee Stadium is uh, an even 3.00 in seven starts. So, um, so that that's, could be a fun matchup on uh, Thursday night. Uh, getting over to uh, some MLB wide stuff, um, Jesse. While you're on the show, I mean that the National League West is kind of your wheelhouse. What's your take on the division right now? And the Dodgers have had really an interesting second half with the injuries and the the ups and the downs, and I think they're in a in a tie right now with Colorado. How do you see that uh, winding down here in the last couple weeks? The NL West has been really interesting uh, to follow uh, because it's really changed a lot. The Diamondbacks have held first place. Uh, up until a couple weeks ago, had basically held first place the entire season. There were a couple patches of several days where I think the Rockies took over. I think the Dodgers might have had a couple days in first place at one point. But by and large, throughout the season, uh, the Diamondbacks were were the team to beat in the NOS. They were at the top. Um, and right now, today, according to ESPN, they're sitting at a 2.6% chance of making the playoffs uh, because they have not played well lately. I think they've lost 15 of 21 games. Uh, they've lost nine consecutive uh, one-run games, not not back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, but the last nine one-run games that they have played, they have lost all of them. Um, and that has really swung this division um, away from them and towards the Rockies and the Dodgers. Uh, these teams seem to be fighting it out right now. Uh, the Rockies have a half-game lead. Uh, the Dodgers lost uh, earlier today. I think they played the night game against the Cardinals. They lost that game. Um, so this is going to be really interesting down the stretch 
unfortunately, uh, even as, as much of a, of a homer as I may be uh, to my Diamondbacks, uh, I think this is a Rockies-Dodgers race at this point. There just isn't really enough time left on the schedule for the D-backs to make a comeback, especially uh, their schedule from here on out is just insane. Uh, they're just finishing up a series with the Astros. They've got uh, games against the Dodgers and the Rockies coming up. Uh, two good teams, but I, I don't think it's going to be enough for them to get back in this picture. Uh, so it's it's fascinating because you look at um, you look at the run differential of these two teams. I don't know if you guys are, are super into um, looking at that statistic. It's not mentioned very often, uh, but the Colorado Rockies this season are plus one. They have outscored their opposing team uh, all together throughout this entire season by a single run um, over 149 games. Uh, the Dodgers, on the other hand, in 150 games, have outscored their opposition by 146 runs. Uh, <laughs> so it just goes to show you, uh, just you know, the Dodgers have played, have outplayed the Rockies by by 30 miles this season. It's not even close. Even the Diamondbacks have a plus 60 run differential. I'll throw that in there. Um, I, I think this is the Dodgers' division to lose. They're they're only a half game out. I think they're the better team, um, but they've had their problems this year, and and anything can happen. Uh, in this NL West division, it's it's been a wild year. Sad to see the Diamondbacks not on top, um, but I think it, at this point it is it is between the Rockies and the Dodgers. And the Diamondbacks really have to win the division, don't they? Because the Brewers have played so well, and um, St. Louis has really come on strong in the last couple months. Yeah, the D-backs' path to the playoffs is a, is about the same either way. Right now, they're four games out from the wild card behind the Cardinals, and then four and a half out of the division. Uh, so e- either way you look at it, it's it's a bit of a long shot for for the D-backs at this point. Okay, I didn't. I guess I just didn't realize it was that close for the wild card. Um, and it's looking like it'll be an NL West versus NL East, you know, as the two and three seeds. So they'll play each other. How do um, how do the Braves stack up against against uh, the Dodgers or the um, Rockies? Well, I guess you got to consider the Brewers as well. I, I just feel like I just feel like I'm not a big Braves guy. I guess was what I was really getting at. <laughs> um, we swept them. I don't like their bullpen. Um, a lot of young, you know, players that that strike out a lot. Yeah, I feel like the Braves are, are they're they're a, a good team that I think in a few years is going to be a great team, but they're really not there yet. Uh, I fully agree with you. I don't think the Braves are, are really the team to beat out of the National League. To be honest, it's really hard to pick a team to beat in the National League because the National League just isn't really that good this year. Uh, the, nope. I think that's it, really yeah up and down this this entire league. Uh, the National League is is pretty lame. Uh, I would make the argument that even the wild card teams, the Yankees and the A's, are both probably better teams than any team the National League has to offer. Um, so at this point, uh, from a National League perspective, a lot of people are thinking, you know, who's going to represent us and get killed by the Red Sox or the Astros in the World Series? Uh, that's really the only the only question that's being asked. Maybe you could make an argument that the Cubs, uh, you know, given their postseason history, they've had a, a pretty good second half by and large. Uh, maybe the Dodgers, if they got in there, you know, we've seen um, this team perform a, a lot better, uh, specifically last year. They got all the way to the World Series. Um, they're a team that I think has a much higher ceiling than than how they've performed so far. 
But yeah, up and down this National League, just just honestly been a, a down year, and it's given teams, you know, like the Braves, like the Rockies, uh, like you know maybe the Cardinals or, or the Brewers, the chance to rise in in a in a league that they probably shouldn't be rising in at all. Yeah, I mean, for a while it was looking like the Cubs were kind of creating some separation, but I guess they have had uh, some bullpen issues as well, and they haven't really had a healthy Chris Bryant all season. And um, yeah, Garbage I kind of been out too. Yeah, exactly. One, probably he's the, done for the year. Yeah, right. The worst signing of the uh, last uh, free agency season <laughs> was definitely Darvish, <laughs> and completely fell on his face there in that game seven. I don't know why they didn't just start Alex Wood anyway, knowing that he was only going to go three innings before turning it over to Kershaw, who would pitch a few innings, and then Morrow and, and Jansen would probably split the last three. But um, but definitely, and Theo Epstein is like maybe the greatest general manager, not only like in the history of sports, but maybe the history of mankind. I mean, he reversed almost <laughs> 200 years of curses if you combine them. And how could he botch that? And he botched the Hayward deal because he was kind of trending down and didn't really, I, I didn't think, you know, 180 or whatever it was was justifiable there. And um, the Quintana trade looks okay at times, and then other times it doesn't look good. And um, right. it just. Kind of some missteps there on his part, which are, are a bit surprising. But, um, Tyler, like, what about the wild card race? Who are two teams that intrigue you? In the National League or the American League? In the National League. I'm sorry. Um, the teams that I would say I'm most interested in seeing what happens with is uh, probably St. Louis. I mean, it, I would say it's pretty much the Milwaukee, the Dodgers, and St. Louis in the in in the wild card chase, and then you know uh, you could make an uh, argument for Colorado as well if the Dodgers end up passing them, which you know it's a possibility. They're only a half game back, so St. Louis is the team that that kind of interests me because you know Matt Carpenter, like halfway through the year, had like eleven home runs. Now he's got what thirty one or thirty two, or or is it like thirty four now or something? So like the dot the the, uh, the Cardinals really scare me a little bit when it comes to the National League wild card, and you know of course they made the manager uh, change and everything like that and Milwaukee too. But the only thing with Milwaukee is I don't like the pitching, but the, the lineup is just as good as anybody I think. Mm. Yeah, um, and and they they have a pretty good uh, back end of the bullpen as well and. Um, I, I like I like the Brewers. You know, I, I'm a big Mike Mustakas guy. I like his presence in in the dugout, and the guy can mash. And um, Travis Shaw, of course, former Red Sox player, and um, the mayor. Yeah, and and also the um, the Yelich deal. You know, has really paid dividends, and it's just a really fun team to watch. So I, I'd love to see that. Uh, you're probably not a Rockies guy, Jesse, you know, because it's a division rival. But, <laughs> but a Brewers, Rockies, NLCS, like, like a actually that couldn't happen, I don't think, because 
Oh, no, it would happen, excuse me, because the Cubs will probably be the one seed. So, yeah, they would end up on different sides of the bracket, and you'd have, a, like, a beer theme in the uh, in the NLCS. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I just It's just been interesting. And, and uh, you guys mentioned the uh, Cardinals really dismal for much of the first half. I think they were exactly a 500 team on the night they fired. Yep. Mike Matheny and uh, that guy sucks. By the way, that guy sucks. You don't like Matheny? I, I, I never thought that guy was a good manager ever. I I guess and, I and Cardin- Cardinals fans are the same way too because like I saw Cardinals fans back in like after after they won the World Series and what was it twenty eleven or something like that. After that, like two years later, they were all over Mike Matheny, like over Twitter and like you know it's just. I never thought he was a great manager. You you think he was? Well, I don't know, but I mean, they he got into the postseason with them, including you know into the World Series against the Red Sox, and um, I just I I guess I, I'm just not I didn't follow the team close enough to know one way or the other. But so many ex catchers, you know, become managers and have had success. You know, Girardi being an example of that, and uh, Matheny and. I've never been a big Sosha guy, but you know he's an ex-catcher who uh, managed oh. a team to a World Series. I'll uh, tell you who's another catcher that sucked as a manager is um, Brad Ausmus. Ask Tigers fans how bad he was. True, yeah, I uh, I forgot about him, but yeah, I don't think he'll uh, be managing again ever. I although I do, I'd be surprised if Matheny didn't uh, get another gig, even if it was with like a. A Cincinnati Reds type team, but yeah. And um, Jesse, what did you think of the the Mike Schilt um, hiring? I guess because he's no longer just the interim manager. And the interesting thing about him is he's never played before, you know, in, in, professionally anywhere. And the closest comparison to him would probably be Freddie Gonzalez, who was the uh, the Atlanta manager for a number of years. So what'd you think of that move? Yeah, I think it's always, it's, it's interesting what teams are looking for when you, when you're looking to hire a manager, obviously it was just brought in on an interim basis. So, you know, not necessarily staying there long-term, um, but different teams have different criteria. And, and I think especially in this day and age where, um, you know, the analytic side of the game has become so big. I think you see teams sometimes embracing that. Um, but experience is also something that is that is usually, you know, every every team in baseball is looking to have a manager with uh, some serious experience under their belt, whether it be as bench coach or, you know, as, as a minor league manager uh, for an extended period of time. Um, that, that is, uh, really a prime characteristic that you see teams look for among some other things. So, uh, I think it's interesting and, and it'll be interesting, especially to see if he, if he sticks. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a front office that has been very aggressive. I mean, look where they are and they traded fam, they traded Grichik, they traded Piscotti and, they're probably going to make the wild card game. I mean, it's just insane. And I'm not an expert on their farm system, but I'm going to boldly assume that they're they're not in the worst shape ever and that their future could potentially be pretty bright in the 
in the central there. So their pitching's good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um yeah, I and I'm I know we faced them twice in the World Series, but I'm never I don't really have a strong feeling one way or the other, you know, for or against the Cardinals. So, you know, if they if they do uh you know, go on a run here for the next few years, more power to them. Um, I'd never count them out ever. Yeah. Mm. They do have a ever. couple of uh front office guys in prison though, ironically. Um for breaking into the Astro system there uh, four or five years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. AJ Prowler is another guy I think that belongs in prison, but that's uh that's a conversation. Or at least out of the game. That guy's a joke. Yeah, I mean that that he his actions I think set the stage for um, Coppola, the um, the Atlanta guy, to get banned for life last off season for manipulating the. Uh, the international pool the way he did or whatever and they lost something like 13 prospects as a penalty for it and uh and so i think preller's actions were kind of a precursor for that but um i guess then in, in closing uh jesse why don't you just tell us a little bit more about the diamondbacks i mean we we kind of know that they are an extreme long shot and from what i've read you're your farm system isn't great. It's like a bottom five uh, system at, at the moment. So what kind of moves do you expect Mike Hazen to make here in the offseason, you know, to kind of keep you guys competitive the next few years, you know, if that's possible? Yeah, I think Mike Hazen has a, has a lot of decisions ahead of him. Uh, come this offseason and it all starts with AJ Pollock and Patrick Corbin who were both free agents um, AJ Pollock really carried the Diamondbacks through much of the first half of the season then he got hurt uh, returned and, and really hasn't been the same guy or really even close to the same guy since uh, so I think he has a really interesting decision to make there whether he wants to bring Pollock back or not uh, Patrick Corbin on the other hand is has had one of the best um you know, walk years that you're ever going to see a starting pitcher have. He has been the real deal all season long, uh, ERA right around three. And it's I think it's going to be seriously difficult for the Diamondbacks to bring him back uh, because I, I don't think he's the type of guy to take a hometown discount. Um, if, if he would take a hometown discount, his hometown is actually New York. Um, and mm. he has, he, yes, he has mentioned that he would love to pitch for the New York Yankees um, that actually came out at one point in a press conference. Um, so I, I, I think that Patrick Corbin is probably as good as gone. Um, these last couple weeks are probably going to be his last couple weeks in a Diamondbacks uniform, which is, which is a sad thing because he's had a, you know, a solid start to his career, um, here in Arizona. Um, but on the whole, this, this Diamondbacks team, uh, it's gotten to the point where a lot of fans just aren't really engaged anymore because of, um, they're not, they're not losing, you know, 13 to two every night and getting crushed although they have had a, a couple of those games as of late. Uh, they they have had some of the most mind-numbing, gut-wrenching losses uh, that you'll ever see uh, a baseball team have. They were they were actually out here. I'm in L.A. now uh, for college, um, and they had a four-game set out here. They won game one. Um, and then in, in the next three games, uh, they were either tied or leading 
going into the ninth inning of all three games and they lost every single game three to two. Uh, that, that's the that's the brand of baseball that this team uh, has been playing as of late. And and for fans around Arizona, it has been extremely hard to watch. And and unfortunately, I think I think a lot of people have given up on this year uh, and they're looking ahead to the years to come, which have a lot of questions. Uh, like I said, Corbin and Pollock are leaving um, this year. Most likely Paul Goldschmidt has one year remaining on his contract. And, and the notion of, of maybe blowing the whole thing up, selling some pieces, trying to start over, um, is unfortunately not a crazy one at this point for the Diamondbacks. And, I mean, so many teams have done that and done excellent jobs of doing it to expedite their rebuild. So that one, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have a problem with that if I was a, a an Arizona Diamondbacks fan, but... But doesn't this short window where they were competitive, does that speak to the fact that maybe um, your previous GM, his name escapes me, former player. Dave Stewart. Dave Dave Stewart, Stewart, yeah. yeah. Was he, like, not a very good front office executive? Uh, I think that's the nice way of putting it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Dave Dave Stewart made some of the, the most, can I say, boneheaded moves that I think you'll ever see a general manager make. Uh, in the game of baseball, he was the guy who traded uh, huh. who traded Dansby Swanson uh, and yep. Ender and Ciarte, who have turned into studs uh, for the Atlanta Braves. Swanson uh, still kind of a work in progress, but I think he'll get there. Um, and he basically got Shelby Miller back. Uh, that was the entire return. And Shelby Miller uh, made four starts this season uh, after returning from Tommy John surgery lost all four games he was horrible in every game um they basically shut him down they're probably going to non-tender his contract at the end of the year even though they could keep him because he's just not worth the five million dollars that he costs on on an annual basis um so uh, dave stewart made some big mistakes and and mike hazen has been a breath of fresh air uh not every move that he's made has worked out to be honest uh gene segura and mitch and mitch hanniger uh are two guys who who really slipped through the diamondbacks fingers i think Mike Hazen would love to have a do-over um, with that move. But but all in all, I, I think that despite the the little mistakes here and there, I think Mike Hazen is, is a very competent general manager. I think he's very good at what he does, even though not every move is going to work out. And, and I expect him to be the general manager of this team for a long time. And I hope he is, and I hope Lavello stays, you know, as long as uh, Hazen does. But... Um, Final question, and uh, Tyler and I know this all too well. How does it feel to get burned by Clay Buckholtz at a critical time when you need him the most? <laughs> yeah, the Diamondbacks basically they were down to their their last game. Uh, it was it was this the series finale against the Rockies uh, several days ago. It was in Colorado. Um, they, they, I think they were three and a half games out. If they lose the game, they're four and a half out. And if they win, they're, they're back to two and a half out. Um, so an enormous game. And, and like you guys are obviously aware, Clay Buckles gets hurt at, at pretty much the worst time you could possibly imagine. Yes, I know. Uh, he, he has the history of it. He has not been durable um, throughout his career. But at the same time, uh, th- th- this is an absolute gem of a find uh, from my case. The guy pitched to an ERA of two. Uh, over about 10 starts uh w- one of the best you know mid-season acquisitions that you're ever going to see a team make the d-backs needed a guy with taiwan walker uh going out with tommy john surgery they found clay buckles and and whether or not he's back with the team next season i think mike hazen 
uh, deserves a lot of credit for for bringing him in and, and finding him. And he's just a great guy, a fun guy to watch pitch. Uh, doesn't have you know electric stuff, but he clearly knows what he's doing. Um, and and as a Diamondbacks fan, he was he was a joy to watch in, in his several months here with with the Diamondbacks. Yeah, well, I think back to that 2013 season when he was like 12 and 0, and he became the first player in the history of Major League Baseball to go on the DL for a cuddling injury, which apparently happened when he fell asleep the wrong way with his kid in his arm. And uh, I hate that guy so much. We didn't see him again until uh, September, and and because David Ross is one of the great postseason catchers of the last decade anyway managed to nurse him through some some games there and uh help oh us. yeah oh yeah the 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 five innings he pitched in st louis and then and then you know he was talking how how oh my god i i'm a warrior for going through those games or, or going through that game i got through the lineup three times and like it, it, everybody's just basically making fun of him because he pitched like he threw like fucking seventy pitches or something like that. Right. If, if you, that was like game three against St. Louis or something like that. If you guys or, keep Buckholtz, and you you must know some people by now, or you at least know a guy who knows a guy who can get to the front office. Tell them not <laughs> to activate him until August thirty first, and it might be might work out brilliantly. You know, if you guys are. Uh, at least in wild card contention, because he might actually stay healthy. But <laughs> if if you start him out of spring training, he is done by July first. I promise you. I promise you. Um, all right, guys. Excellent show. We kind of went a little over, but that's fine. Um, appreciate you guys coming on, especially you, Jesse. It was a pleasure to have you. And uh, if either Tyler or I can do anything for you in the future. Um, Feel free to reach out, and uh, if we're available, we'll uh, we'll uh, give you a good, you know, show or segment or whatever you need. Absolutely, always a pleasure, Terry. All right, thanks a lot, bud. All right, uh, have a good night, and uh, that's uh, that's a wrap for uh, episode eighty-one. Have a good night, guys. Everybody, have a good night. It was actually a really fun show, given the uh, sudden developments of uh, this weekend. So, uh, as I thank those guys, I'll just reiterate again that I uh, did appreciate them coming on. And uh, and uh, Wednesday show, uh, excuse me, I think it's Thursday. Thursday show will um, most likely happen, but I'm gonna have to hide somewhere in a Milwaukee hotel. Uh, I don't know what the layout there is or where I might be able to get this done because I'm, I'm splitting a room with someone, so I don't want to keep him up, uh, you know, throughout the night while we record this. So um, I'll uh, do the best I can to uh, get that going, and and uh, we'll uh, talk about the Yankees series. So, so have a good uh, start to your week. Wherever I roam, up and way home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of insanity. I live and die with Red Sox right for eternity. I sleepwalk through the days when there's a West Coast swing. Married to the TV and the radio. 
it on October, I'd give it.